Happy Super Bowl week, everybody. This is episode 389 of Sports with Friends. We have an NFL Hall of Famer this week. The great James Lofton, former receiver for the Green Bay Packers, the Buffalo Bills, the Raiders. And now he is on the NFL on CBS. He calls games with another veteran of Sports with Friends and one of my buddies and Cuse alums, Andrew Catalan. This podcast has a history of doing Super Bowl-related shows. Started with episode 51 before Super Bowl week. Then I remember the next year there was a whole slew of podcasts. Uh, Al Michaels, Peter King, NFL Network's Andrew Siciliano was on for the Super Bowl. And this year we are not lowering the bar. We'll start this week's episode with the discussion on the Super Bowl, the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs. We'll also give you the latest odds on the big game with the head odds maker at BovadaSportsBook.com, Patrick Morrow. Now, throughout the history of the podcast, what we usually do is try to catch up with someone who's at the big game on Radio Row, and that has been a logistical nightmare. I thought, why don't we try to get somebody before they leave for the madness of Radio Row. Before he leaves for Super Bowl week, James Lofton, thank you so much for doing this. I've been an admirer of yours from your playing days and now your broadcasting days. It's a thrill to talk to you, man. Well, thanks for having me. I just wonder how many people, if you go back to maybe like week three, would have said Philadelphia and Kansas City with with great certainty. There was a time when we saw the run that Philadelphia was on and going, Hey, they're going to be good, but are they going to be able to make it the whole distance? Well, and injuries played a, a lot into that. You know, they, they stayed healthy and they were able to answer all the challenges uh, that they were. Um, does the Super Bowl have the same uh, thrill for you after you've done a number of them? And I'm really talking about from your post playing days, you know, whether you were CBS before that you were with Westwood one, but you're an ambassador of the game. You're a Hall of Famer. You go there. You shake hands. You kiss babies. I mean, there's it, 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 it's a lot of it's a lot of rigmarole. I've 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 covered two. I've covered two Super Bowls, and if I never cover another one, I kind of know what the vibe is. Well, for me, it has changed so much because you don't know this. I went to Super Bowl one. Oh, get out! My dad took me to the very first Super Bowl in Los Angeles. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs and the Green Bay Packers and and what I remember about that day because I had been in the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum before for Uh for track meets and maybe a USC game or something like that but I remember when we went that each quarter we moved down a little closer (laughs) to the 50-yard line in the prime (laughs) seats because the stadium was maybe maybe half full so we're able to negotiate our way down and we took those $8 tickets right, and moved right. into a prime location on that game. And and for me as a kid, all I was worried about was I going to get the hot dog and the Coke at the ball right. game. Right, right, right. <laughs> you didn't realize what, what a, what a, uh, an entertainment event it, it would become. I, ha- I have to admit my, uh, my 14 year old has learned the art of sneaking downstairs during <laughs> sporting events. Because when she watches games, you know, she's a big hockey fan. And when she watches sure. games on TV, she sees that right in front of the ice, like right on in front of the board, there's always empty seats. Even yeah. in a sold out arena, there's always those seats are always empty. And so she's mastered it. She and her friends, uh, I've watched them and I've said, listen, if you if you get arrested, I will bail you out once. 
You know, that that's 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 the deal. But she has mastered how to sneak past. I hope none of the security people at the Prudential Center are listening to this podcast. Um, when when you got into the broadcast booth, uh, you did it on the sidelines first. You worked right. with a mutual friend of ours, uh, the great Howie Denerov. Um, and you know, he has such a high standard for what he wants his broadcast to sound like. Um, how was that the introduction? And did you get the bug then to say, this is something I really wanted to do? You know, there's there's always a different answer to that because not right. all players, especially ones of your stature, go into the booth like you did. Well, it has changed. The, the broadcast world has changed since when I came into the National Football League as a player in 1978. Mm-hmm. You had CBS... NBC, ABC had just started with what seemed like Monday Night Football. So all that was new. Right. There were there were no cable outlets because there was no cable, right. believe it or not. And I think when people look at the landscape now, there are just so many more opportunities. I know when I when I first retired, I went to work at CNN and I was doing an NFL preview show. We had a half hour show. Oh wow. And everybody else had a one hour show. And so we were on at the same time as everybody else leading into ball games. People obviously watching CNN had to switch over and watch something else, but we were right there with everybody else. Um, and now that's changed. The lead up to games with the cable outlets and with, with the subsequent outlets for everybody else has, there's just so much stuff to listen to. I, I didn't say talk about. There's so much stuff to listen to because there's <laughs> not really a whole lot more to talk about. It's still just a game. But getting to know the personalities of the players and different things like that is exciting. Uh, getting to still be involved in the game is exciting. And and I did take a little brief respite in there to try and coach. Right. So I that tried that for question, a number yeah. of years. And uh, so it's 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 been a a whirlwind that the last 45 years have just run by fast, but that's been my existence in the National Football League, player, coach, broadcaster. A couple a couple of weeks ago, we had your broadcast partner on CBS, uh, Andrew Catalan, on, and he kind of detailed what a typical preparation week was. Uh, he did a really nice job uh, doing that. I would imagine, just comparatively, uh, a coaching position is what eight times the amount of work. And I'm not diminishing the amount of yeah. work that you guys put in. Um, you guys work your asses off. I mean, I, the, the amount of preparation and the interviews that you guys do that never get to air, they're not on-camera interviews. They're just informational things and the stuff that you can bring to the broadcast. But from your coaching days, I would imagine that dwarfs what you're doing now. You, you know, it, it really does. Um, when you When you look at what you're trying to do as a coach, you're trying to prepare for that week, but you have a set team. And so you you have only so many different moving parts that you can adjust to. And when we go in to do a broadcast, we have to kind of look, I, I do, and I do the same thing that I did when I was coaching, look at the three previous games. Yeah. What were the teams doing? Because I'm trying to get a feel as to what they're trying to do schematically, because you want to explain that in simple terms once the game starts, but you want to have all these details, all these stories about people, and, and the best thing that we get to do is because we're all in different locations, once we get together Friday morning and we drive off to that home team's practice and we're standing there on the sideline and 
we're yucking it up with some guys. Some some teams are real informal. They let you talk to the players when you're on the sideline. Some of the coaches that I know will come over and talk to me. If we're doing a team for multiple times, those players see you, they wave a little bit. They kind of recognize you. Go, you know, those are the guys who are talking about me. My mom told me that they said this when I made a bad play. So, you know, you, you have that aspect of it. So it is, it is all encompassing. Um, you never stop preparing. You know, I think that, you know, for a one o'clock kickoff, I think, oh, well, I'll go down on the field at 1145 and I'm still gathering information. Wow. And then you're still gathering information as the game is going on yeah. because it, it's nonstop. And then when the game ends, you do a game recap. So it's, it's, yeah, it, there's a lot to it, but it is, it is a lot of fun for, for people who enjoy doing it. It is amazing to me how everything in television has changed with streaming services and, and apps and the red zone channel and all the different aspects to consume football. And yet 50 million people are watching, you know, an NFL playoff game on Thanksgiving or, you know, or, or, or any of these playoff games recently, the NFL seems to be bucking the trend that basketball's facing, that baseball's facing, that hockey's facing, even college football's facing. The NFL seems immune to all of it. And the, th the only thing keeping linear television alive is the NFL. And what is it about that sport? And again, you're talking to a fan. Like, I love football, but it is amazing to me the sheer numbers of people that live for football. If I were to say that it's the setup of football and it's the once a week. Now, as soon as I say once a week, then there's an asterisk because we play on Sunday night, nice. we play on Monday night, we play on Thursday night. <laughs> Right. But it is that it used to be when I was a kid, we had appointment television. You had shows that you watched on Wednesday at 9 p.m. You had sure. something that you watched on Friday at 730. So you had that appointment television. And, and I really believe for the NFL fan and for the fan of a particular team, there's that appointment television. You know that if you go to church at 10 o'clock in the morning, you got to hustle back to get home to watch your team kick off at 1 p.m. Right. So I, I think it's harder on the in the central mountain and Pacific time zones. So you go to yeah. church, the games are starting earlier. And and you're waiting for that pastor to finish up his sermon. So <laughs> you, 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 you just have to look at, I think that the NFL does a great job with its hook, with the draft, with free agency. Uh, e even, I hate to say it, with Black Monday when all the, the coaches get fired the day after the season is over. So there are events to look forward to if you're a football fan that I don't know. I, I know the other sports have them, but it just seems like the NFL just trumps them with it. And is it the collisions? Is it the pageantry? What is it? I really believe that because the NFL plays outdoors, and you play for the most part in any conditions yeah. that are available. Um, you know, it's it's not like baseball where you can get rained out. Right. It's not like basketball that that's indoors and the players are running up and down in shorts when it's freezing outside. Right. The the elements become part of the game at most arenas that aren't played indoors. 
More of our conversation with James Lofton in just a bit. It is Super Bowl week, the Chiefs and the Eagles. And let's get the latest odds on the big game with the head odds maker at Bovada, Patrick Morrow. Size this one up, man. All right, so that's the right out of the gate. We will start with where the spread money line and total is today. And uh, we haven't really seen too much movement from We did check in on this last week because it's always very curious to see where this line moves from its initial opener, from, uh, you know, that first 24, 48 hours after the fact when that, you know, money starts coming in quick. And then as we get closer and closer and the injury situation starts to become a little bit more apparent, more money comes in, limits are raised. And so where we are at right now, the Eagles are still one and a half point favorites on the handicap. The Chiefs are popular at plus 105 on the money line. That has dipped a little bit. Uh, from the plus 115 it was last week. Over under is sitting at 51. And you know what? This is still a pretty evenly bet Super Bowl, Seth. Uh, there's not really one narrative or one side that's really attracting too much more attention than the other so far. It's really, really tight. And I've got to say, as bookmakers, it makes it pretty easy for us to do our job at Pavada with a game like this. Uh, the trick is, you know, there's not a clear-cut favorite. And I think that's that's one of the big things that you're noticing that, you know, without a clear-cut favorite, this is kind of a pick em game. And, you know, whatever the line is with one or two points, people expect it to be a, a, a good game. A, that's going to help television ratings. And B, I, I think the bigger thing is, is is really going to see if one team gets out to a 10-point lead, what live betting will be. And this is something, uh, Seth, where we've been able to see. It used to be that, uh, you know, where this game closes that kickoff, that we're, you know, hands on our heads. This is what we're sweating for the next three, three and a half hours. Uh, then the props started to help us out with that a bit. There's so much money on the props now that we can mitigate any positions there. But now it's the in-game stuff. And, you know, we're at a point now where we're so comfortable and confident with how we trade this stuff that the limits in-game now, especially during commercial breaks where we have stoppages, will be just as high as they are pre-match. That's how confident we are with what we're able to put out there. So. Uh, th this game doesn't really end for us at kickoff. Uh, you know, we have the second half lines. We're going to keep uh, some of the exotic, even the national, not the national anthem, sorry, the halftime show up throughout the first half. Uh, in-game player props. So if you like your player props pre-match, you can get them in-game as well. So this really won't be done at all for us until we get to that final whistle. And, you know, that, that makes for a very long two weeks. It makes for a very long and stressful three and a half hours of game being played. Uh, even the stuff that we're going to sweat at the halftime show is going to be pretty cool. So I think the one thing that players on the sidelines are still waiting for is a little bit more clarity around Patrick Mahomes and that ankle injury. I think if we knew for sure he was 100%, not only would, would we be seeing that much more Chiefs money, but we might even see the line flip a little bit and have the Chiefs outright as favorites. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get that clarity until we see him take the field and maybe uh, go through that first series on Sunday, but I, I'd say that's still the biggest question mark out there. But the cool thing is that if you don't want to worry about the home stuff, you've got all these props. You can bet on Eagles players to do this, that, and the other. You can bet on Kelsey to do this. You can bet on how long the national anthem is going to be. There's, as of this recording, there's about 850 different ways to bet this game. So you don't have to worry about Patrick Mahomes if you don't want to. He'll still be one of our bigger concerns, though. As with any Super Bowl, props become the bigger thing. The uh, halftime show, the, the national anthem, and then the stuff who's going to score the first touchdown, who's going to score the most touchdowns, who's going to get the most rushing yards, passing yards, all the different props. What are the most popular props right now? Right out of the gate, everyone loves the MVP stuff. And, you know, the QBs are right there at the top. 
Uh, national Anthem is super popular because that's a way of knowing whether you've won a bet before the game's even kicked off. People like that quick resolution when it comes to placing that bet. That line has moved from over under two minute, two seconds to now two minute, five seconds with money still coming in on the over. A uh, correct score is a really interesting one. And uh, I don't know if folks out there are familiar with um, Arian Foster and that podcast where he suggested that there's a script that the NFL gives out to games. And so as a result, uh, it was making the rounds on Twitter recently that the script was released for Super Bowl and that the Eagles were going to win 37-34. Now, of course, we don't believe that the NFL is right. However, the 37-34 Eagles correct score is one of the most popular bets at Bavada right now. And we have a six-figure liability just because somebody with 100,000 followers on Twitter said that they've got the script for the game. So. Uh, there are a lot of people that tout their picks. There are a lot of people that say this is a good side. I would not suggest betting based on someone's script. All right. Outside of football, there was a blockbuster trade in the NBA. Kyrie Irving got traded to the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, what was the impact on the futures in the NBA? Uh, so, yeah, a, re a really curious trade. As uh, We didn't really think uh, the Mavericks were going to be on Kyrie Irving's uh, radar. And listen, that might have not been the team that he was hoping to get to. But what we did see was with a player of his skill, regardless of how he's actually going to uh, mesh with that team, we saw the Mavericks drop all the way from 12 to 1 to 6 to 1 at Bavada to... Uh, win the NBA Finals this year. So whatever anyone thinks about Kyrie Irving and his uh, antics off the court, uh, he still is an all-star. He still is an NBA champ. And he still is one of those guys when his mind's focused on the right stuff, is an impact player. Could be a miss, that last missing piece that the Mavericks uh, need this year for a title run and years to come. But uh, remains to be seen uh, just how well they are able to get that together. So again, they moved from 12 to one to six to one there. Great job as always, Patrick. That is Patrick Morrow from Bavada. Now back to the NFL Hall of Famer, the great James Lofton. Uh, you referenced concussions. It seems like it's the thing that is the greatest challenge to football, to safety of their players. Uh, we saw this year with Tua Tungavailoa and concussions. It's not a flawless system. It's not a perfect protocol. There still needs to be improvements. Um, is that the greatest threat to the existence of the NFL? I'm not sure if it's a great threat, but I think the awareness of a player getting concussed during the course of a game. And I was at an event this past week, and there were some veteran players, some retired players, um, and we were talking about concussions and, and what we had because they weren't diagnosed. If you hit your head on the AstroTurf and you get up and you see these little dots in front of you, is that a concussion? Right. If you pound into somebody on a tackle on the sideline and you get up a little woozy, it used to be where players would keep smelling salts yeah. in their sock or under their wristbands and they'd break that open and those ammonia caps, they'd sniff them and your head would clear up. So you, you went out and you played probably when today's player wouldn't play because of the neurological consultants that they have watching the game. Yeah. So if you get up and you're staggering a little bit, you can't get up and even joke about staggering and, and jog back to the huddle because you can take a tough hit, shake your head. And if you shake your head too many times, they're going to pull you out of the ball game. When you were with the Packers, how different was it? beginning um, of your career it, it it was it was a lot different um you know now 
and I, and I know I'm the old man, get off my yard syndrome, <laughs> but the the terminology defenseless receiver. Let me see. So that means he's out there in shorts and flip flops. Right. He doesn't have on shoulder pads. He doesn't have on a helmet. And what has happened is the offensive coordinators have taken advantage of the rules. And they realize that their quarterback can only be hit above the knees, below the shoulders, and he can only be hit at the instant that he's throwing the ball, not one step for the defender. He also knows that the guy running down the seams, the inside edge of the numbers, cannot be hit until he catches the ball. He can't, they can't be simultaneous contact because that's a defenseless receiver. So all these things, you, you put them together, and for the defensive back who's playing, the linebacker who is tough as nails, they cannot play the game at full speed because there are caution lights going off in front right. of them. Right. You know, we talked about the Packers, and I, I kind of uh, be, would be remiss if we didn't talk about the fan base of the Green Bay Packers. It's it's unique. It's it, it's it's nothing like it. You know, it's, it, it doesn't compare to Denver or Chicago or New England. It, it it's very different. Um, the fans own a portion of the team, uh, and they don't hide that fact. Um, you know, I've done some Milwaukee radio, and uh, it, it, the, the the Packers are literally just the way that whole state reacts and in surrounding states. Um, when you look back at your time there, what is it about that market and that fan base? Well, tongue in cheek, very few people move to Green Bay. Right. That's where you're from. <laughs> <laughs> and so for that fan base, the people in Wisconsin, that that is their team. Leroy Butler, who just went in, who talked about the Lambo Leap, he, he didn't call them fans. They're shareholders. shareholders. They're the owners of the team. And so so it is a little different. Um, when, when I first got there in 1978, you know, I'm, I'm going, we have a 55,000-seat stadium, and there's 78,000 people in Green Bay. So the other 23,000 people are sitting at home watching the game on TV. And you know what? They really are. Um, it is a game that or a team where the locals had access to the stadium. They had access to the team. And if they want to come and watch practice, if you want, if a kid wanted you to ride his bike from the locker room across the street to the practice field, you did that. The, the kid whose bike I rode, Nick Meehan. Nick has five grandkids. I have three. So he he was 15 when I was 21, and we have been friends ever since. Oh, wow. um, there there's just a bond, but when I say that, I, I see that bond with most of the 32 franchises. Um, there's some disconnect in a place like Houston because you have the Oilers now. The Texans are there. There's the disconnect in San Diego because the Chargers are now in Los Angeles. But there's this mass following of the Raiders, no matter where they go. Yeah, yeah. And it might be just the colors of the team. It's easy to paint in black, and you just cross out everything else, and, and they become your team. So the you talked about the allegiance and, and the, the popularity of the game, and it, it, is, it is the fan base. And it's a fan base that it, it's not 
20 weeks out of the season, out of the year, it's 52 weeks out of the year that the NFL promotes itself and, and keeps the fans' interest at a fever pitch. Just uh, for for the audience, uh, Leroy Butler, when he got elected to the Packers Hall of Fame, uh, came on Sports with Friends, was amazing. Uh, told stories just like this. Uh, Leroy, that's episode 174. So if you go back in the iTunes feed or Spotify, however you want, listen to this podcast, uh, you can catch uh, Mr. Butler. He was he was incredible. I remember doing that interview, and I remember the thrill uh, a- after doing it. He hosted a radio show in Milwaukee for a long time. Right, yeah. And I was a guest on his show a bunch. And so when he got elected to the Packers Hall of Fame, I called out and I said, you got to do Sports and Friends. And that, that's how that came about. And you know what's crazy for me, Seth, is that I've had to, like, share my football love with, with more than one franchise. Yeah. You know, obviously playing for the Packers, playing and coaching for the Raiders, yep. playing for the Buffalo Bills. Of course. Coaching for the San Diego Chargers. Yep. So because you you dive into all of those. And and it's, it's funny, tongue-in-cheek, Andrew and I, Catalan, we talk about you know, when you go to college, you, your parents want to know what you're going to major in. Yeah. I tell people I major in the AFC South. <laughs> you know, this, this past season, <laughs> fourteen out of because our eighteen of all games, the games. <laughs> fourteen out of our eighteen games featured at least one team from the AFC South. So it was funny when when Jacksonville got to the second round of the playoffs. I was like, man, we need to be there because we, <laughs> we right. know more about them. Because I'm listening to the A team yep, go yep, and try yep. and talk about them, and they just yep. don't know what we know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did a lot of AFC South. Uh, it's funny. Uh, the last two seasons, uh, I I'm a cord cutter, so I have streaming services, and the uh, NFL Red Zone with uh, Scott Hansen has been the way I I watch, and it, it just for the last two seasons, you know, my 30, 40 years of, of watching NFL football, this is a new experience but my thrill of it is i get to hear all of my buddies who do broadcasts Mm -hmm. all over the country i know where spiro didis is i know where ian eagle is i know where nance and romo are i know where kevin burkhart is and you don't i never used to know that you know it would always be whatever game they gave you in your market that was who you watched and and then you you know you were happy when it was pat summerall and john madden that was that was like your goal like you you knew your teams were doing well uh, when you when you got those guys, um, uh, you know, Andrew kind of touched on this, but knowing uh, how far in advance you get your schedules and knowing how it splits out, you know, it's a depth chart like anything else, you know, sure. from mm-hmm. from your playing days, there, there's a depth chart and everything filters down. If If CBS has five or six games, you know which game you'll get. And I would imagine from doing that, the familiarity with the teams has to help. I mean, it, it, there's so many teams and so many players on so many teams. Well, you you listen to players, and when you get around to the playoffs, they talk about having home field advantage. And one thing you always hear players talk about is sleeping in their own bed. Yeah. Well, we go to Jacksonville. We know what hotel we're going to stay in. We know what hotel we're going to stay in in That's Houston, right. in Tennessee. So that becomes a familiarity also because you, you kind of know – that home team's routine, you know the people at their practice facility, you know the equipment guy, and, and yeah, it, it, it is a tremendous bonus to know the teams, to know them well, 
to be able to know who the general manager is, the assistant general manager, to know the special teams coach, and to be able to talk to them and say, hey, you got anything up your sleeve this week? So right. those things are are great tips for us. But those are not questions. You know, when I used to do uh, – when I covered the NFL, everything was in an interview. So, you know, I never mm-hmm. had the off-the-field conversations. There was one year I did a radio show with Jay Feely uh, when he was uh, kicking for the Jets. And we would go into the room where it said no media allowed. I thought that was a big deal. (laughs) That was a, that was, that was a, that was a great, great, great thing. And I I just imagine that players know their history and knowing you and the career that you had, um, I would imagine that must be a great thrill for today's players to come to you and show the, I don't want to say reverence because I don't think that's what you want, but you, there's a respect factor that comes in knowing how you played and the kind of player that you were. Well, I, I think what we get, and and I have to tip my hat to the PR staffs, that they will kind of update the players as to who they're going to be interviewed by mm. and where these people are from. And And like you said, if we do Jacksonville, we're going to have Trevor Lawrence every week. Right. So now in his what was this, his second year, we've probably had him in the interview room 10 times. Yeah, sure. You know, so when he walks in, he kind of, he he recognizes us. And and it's interesting, like going down to the Super Bowl this week, I will see players and they'll recognize me and I'll see them and it's out of context. And I go, oh, oh that's so-and-so and that. And then, and and I walk over to him and I introduce my wife and the, this is my wife. And she knows if I don't say their name, she's now supposed to ask, and you are? Yes. That's a great, <laughs> so, great, great little plan. So much. And because when they walk into the room for those five minutes, you talk to them, you're, you're making notes and all that. And, and if they're a player that you only see once, but then you do get to see them again. Um, and, and there are guys that, that are, that I'll look around to see if they're around. And when I'm at, like Nike has a big reception for the Nike athletes and I used to be a Nike athlete. So I remember going to that and and, and seeing um, Ricky Williams sitting Uh in a corner by himself and everybody's, you know, having, you know, shrimp cocktail and and drinks and chicken fingers and different things like that. And he's just sitting by himself. And I went over and introduced myself and we, we struck up a little bit of a dialogue. So then when I saw him later on in his career, he remembered that because that was a, a gesture that that made, meant something to him. And totally. I still remember playing for the Raiders in 1987. And there's this guy sitting over there by the weight room watching practice. And it's Joe Namath. Oh, get out. He's about to do our game as a broadcaster. And I go, yeah, yeah. that's Joe Namath. Yeah, yeah. And I... I, I could barely practice because I kept looking over. That's Joe Namath. He's, That's right. So. Yeah, but there are people playing now, and I don't want to embarrass you, but there are people going, oh, my God, that's James Lofton. Oh, like, yeah. oh, my goodness. I mean, I know you didn't guarantee a Super Bowl, but you're a champion here. Yeah. You, and, and you. So what, what I realized is that for people of a certain age, they remember me. And it's it's interesting when when somebody in their early fifties comes up to me and says, "I watched you when I was a kid," and you know they they really did. So there's right. that there's that age breath. And now there are That's there are people going, out. 
Yeah, it's, I Trevor remember Lawrence you as, didn't see you playing. I remember you as a broadcaster. Yeah, so right. yeah, it kind of, kind of, kind of goes full circle a little bit. That's right. I remember, uh, you know, when when my my big example, you know, when I was in my twenties and I was starting out in the business, I would go out with players. I made no secret about mm-hmm. it. You know, in the in the mid nineties, it was accustomed. It wasn't social media. I had the trust. You know, they knew. I saw yep. things that I would never tell anybody, and I would never report. And you know, I, I had that kind of reputation. And uh, when David Wright retired, I covered baseball for 25 years. And when David Wright retired, I, there are no more athletes that I've ever had an adult beverage with. Wow. <laughs> and it was just something that I realized. And you start yeah. to look at the game differently. And I'm younger than you, but you start to see the game in a different light because everybody looks younger than you. Yeah. And that wasn't the case, you know, when I was traveling with teams and, and, and doing uh, the like. What is it like uh, working with Andrew? He said some nice things about you. You do not have to return the favor. Andrew is, and and, and I kind of joke with him about it. I'd say, you are surviving the James Lofton era. I mean, here, here you are, you're branching out, you're you're filling in for Jim Nance on the golf. On I the said, golf, yeah. if you can just keep pulling me down the river, it's only going to make you stronger. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he is... Um, he he's he's amazing in the booth. Yeah, um, you guys and, had a Chiefs game a, a season ago or two seasons ago where it came down to the final play, and you guys, your enthusiasm was infectious. Well, I think because we both love football, but but technically, he is so good in terms of what would a producer be doing right now? Because oh. he's just not consumed with what he's doing. He's watching all of it. He's watching the shots that we're going to get on the sideline. He's thinking you know, what, what's going to happen. And, you know, he's, he's peppering me, you, you know, he's going, what do you think about the guy using a timeout there? And sometimes I feel like, I don't know, <laughs> maybe I'd have done it. Maybe I wouldn't have, but it, it opens up great dialogue because we, we're talking to each other, but we're still informing, I believe the people who are listening and, um, and, and we realize it's a game. It's important, but it's still a game. Um, how do you feel about, we kind of wrap up the podcast the same way every time. And I always get a different answer. Uh, how do you feel about, uh, social media and the existence of it? Um, it can get guys in trouble, but sometimes it doesn't. Um, does it help players get their voice out? You know, Tom Brady last week, uh, he retired on his own Twitter account. Uh, you know, there wasn't you know, thankfully another uh, retirement ceremony. Um, <laughs> and conveniently the, uh, the video posted on the day is a uh, movie comes out. Uh, but just the idea that uh, social media is part of our society and can be this awful cesspool, but yet there's still some nice things about it too. The first time that I was hit by social media, I was working for Westwood one. Uh, I was a sideline reporter at the Super Bowl. During the year, I would be doing Sunday night football. I'd be in the booth. I was in the booth for the playoffs for the Dave AFC, Sims, right? Dave Sims. AFC championship game. Yeah, Dave Sims and Kevin Kugler. Yep, Dave and Sims, a good friend of mine. So it was it was the Super Bowl. I believe it is Atlanta. No, it was Seattle, and um, the the New England Patriots. Because you could say 
Oh, okay. That's the uh, that that's the um, the, the interception at the end when they. Yes, it is. Off. So so I'm getting ready Marshall to run Lynch. on the field, and you know what happened? And because Westwood One is one of the partners broadcasting, we have rights to get out there and in, in the interview area before yeah. other people do. And I and I run over and I'm gonna interview XYZ player. And he stiff arms me and says, wait a minute. I gotta do this for my Twitter or Instagram. Whatever or... it was. It, yeah. I don't even know if it was Twitter at the time. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm standing there and he's got his cell phone up talking to the cell phone <laughs> while I'm waiting to interview him. And I just go, What is going on? <laughs> But when I look at it now, it is a way for the athlete to get his message out there, his or her message out there. Um, it's a viable tool. There's so many people linked into it because they can interact with that person. So from that standpoint, it, you know, and I know I'm an older American and, and I remember being a kid and I was the remote control in the house. I got up, walked across the room, and changed the channels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the channels went from 2 to 13. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so we have expanded that by just a little bit with social media. Yeah, it, it, it's changed. It, it's changed the way things happen. What I've noticed is uh, popular players get popular regardless of what city they're in. Yeah. Um, this is even more so in the NBA. I think there's no reason to root for the local team anymore. If you're a LeBron fan, you can see LeBron wherever you want. If you're a Giannis fan, you see him wherever you want. And I think in football, it's the same thing. I mean, people can be fans of teams, however they, they happen to be. And I think there's something really impressive that way. Well, I think the first time that happened in the NFL was with fantasy football. Yeah. You know, kid growing up in Miami, his, his favorite receiver is Jerry Rice. His favorite quarterback is, right. you know, somebody else. His favorite running back is Emmitt Smith. Sure. So they get those favorites, and at the same time, root, root, root for the home team anymore. Yeah, you, you didn't have to. You didn't have to because that's well, not what you're seeing on your local news. Well, the best example of that uh, I thought was in the early 2000s. The NBA, the NFL, saw a massive spike in its in all of its audience. Yeah. In all of in all of its its games, and I used Green Bay as the example. I said, "People are born Packer fans." Yes. So in two thousand three, a group of, of of young adults didn't suddenly decide to become Packer fans. Why would in Green Bay the 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 ratings for the Packers go higher? It's not like they all of a sudden gave birth to a bunch of new uh, Packer fans. I said that's fantasy football. It was yeah. the proliferation of the iPhone. Yeah. And once the iPhone became a thing, because fans, if you are a fan of a team, you're a fan of a team. Like that's you, you inherit that from your mom or your dad, however you get to be that fan of a team. But I think today's fan literally can like whatever they like. And whether that's, you know, the English premier league or, or uh, you know, whatever sport it happens to be, sure. whatever it ha happens to do. I, I just think that's fascinating. And for you guys, you know, you're a centerpiece of that. You guys are, are in the mix on that Sunday and wherever, whenever the NFL has one of its massive Sundays, you're a part of it. And I think that that's, 
a very select few are a part of it and that i i find the whole thing fascinating you know if i had known that i'd be more nervous on the air yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing you're not <laughs> it's a good thing you're not <laughs> james uh thank you so much for doing this uh have a great time at the super bowl uh, it's been a thrill uh, getting you on, on the podcast. Uh, this it, has been something I've been targeting since like week one of the of the show, and we got it right before the Super Bowl. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. You do a great job with Catalan. Uh, he's a great guy as well, and it's good to root for you guys because you're both uh, really good people, and I thank you for doing uh, this podcast. Well, thanks for having me on, and you know Andrew like I know Andrew. He is the best partner that I could ask for. That's great to hear. That's great. I, I might have to clip that and send it to him uh, <laughs> before you before your next game. I'll just uh, make sure that he that he gets that as well. Uh, James, continued good health and uh, enjoy the Super Bowl. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. That is the great James Lofton. What a great conversation. Enjoy the Super Bowl, everybody. I'm leaning Chiefs, but I'm not ready to commit just yet. All the pomp and circumstance that goes along with the Super Bowl, there's nothing like it. I'm especially thrilled for everybody who's there that wants to be there. I'll be watching on a television with friends. Next week, Sports Illustrated in 60 Minutes, John Wertheim. Looking forward to that. Lisa Guerrero, the week after. The entire month of February is booked here on Sports with Friends. We'll see you then. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to go And then you'll know For me to stay I got to be me You'll never be in doubt That's what it's all about You can't take me for granted and smile Come on, please, I'm gone Forget reaching me by phone Because I promise I'll be gone for a while When you see that you have been the kind of person that you really are now. You got to get in straight. How could I ever be late when you're my woman? Take